This episode of Untold Stories, Life with a Severe Autoimmune Condition is brought to you by Argenix, a global immunology company committed to improving the lives of people living with severe autoimmune conditions. At Argenix, we listen to patients, caregivers, and advocacy communities to align their aspirations with our innovations in pursuit of a better tomorrow. We welcome this opportunity to honor our commitment by sharing the untold stories of our guests. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Untold Stories, Life with Myasthenia Gravis, a podcast from iHeartRadio in partnership with Argenix. I'm your host, Martine Hackett. I'm an associate professor and director of public health programs at Hofstra University. And as a researcher, professor, and public health expert, I've spent my career studying the complex realities of healthcare disparities and the diverse barriers people face. In this podcast, I'm speaking with real people living with myasthenia gravis, commonly known as MG. Every person with MG has a unique story to tell. By uncovering real life with MG, we will expand the conversation around this condition and its disproportionate effect on underserved communities. In each episode, we'll explore how each MG journey is unique and powerful in its own way. We'll also share tips on self-advocacy and discuss the role community and caregivers play in the lives of people living with MG. The symptoms of MG can add various challenges to daily function, like changes to speech and mobility. In fact, one of the symptoms of MG is a vocal fatigue. As we've seen across the many conversations in this season, people living with MG often understand pivots are necessary to be able to adapt to the changes in their personal lives and their professional goals. This is why today I'm lucky enough to be joined by two successful entrepreneurs, Felicia and Sean, whose lives were both changed by their MG diagnosis in their own unique ways. Though their MG journeys contained many nuanced challenges, they were both driven and determined to make sure MG did not stop them from pursuing their life goals. Felicia was diagnosed with myasthenia gravis almost 10 years ago. Facing continual hurdles to gain access to proper care, Felicia was able to draw from her experiences with MG to create her successful consulting firm, helping other people with disabilities learn to build their own successful businesses. Also joining us is Sean, a James Beard award-winning chef and restaurateur known for his Southern cooking across many restaurants in the Nashville area. In 2014, Sean was diagnosed with MG. The diagnosis forced him to prioritize his health, but through it all, he did not give up his career. Instead, he reimagined what the restaurant environment could look like for himself and his team and ultimately found balance in the kitchen and beyond. Sean and Felicia, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you give us a sense of what your MG journey has looked like? Well, mine started as double vision. I had had food poisoning, so I thought it was part of it. But that would only come in the mornings and then resolve itself throughout the day. But then my eyelids started drooping. You know, it's such a confusing diagnosis. I went to one of the great universities. And um, it probably took, I would say, at least a year and a half, two years to get diagnosed. And in the meantime, I was treated for all kinds of things, resulting in them operating on my eyes and my eyelids, thinking it was something else. So I ended up having five or six surgeries on my eyes that I didn't need. So that was just a 
huge part of that cycle of just not being diagnosed properly because it's such a difficult thing to diagnose. And finally, all the neurologists got together and they were just like, this is so mysterious. Let's test it for myasthenia. I'd never heard that word in my life. And I ended up being a rare case that I passed all the tests, all the antibody tests. But I did have an immediate positive response to the medication that has been classically given to MG patients. And that was my diagnosis. Felicia, could you tell us what your MG journey has looked like? Okay. It was around 2012. I went to someone's house about 30 minutes later. My right eyelid was drooping. That was on a Sunday night. I woke up thinking my eyelid would be okay, but it wasn't. I went to the ER, and the doctors had no idea what was wrong. And it took about two years. And I did research and found out about MG. And I went to the ER one night after having a crisis, and I asked them to test me. And that's when my test came back positive. When you asked them to test you, that's how you actually got your final diagnosis. Wow. Yes. Definitely a lot of similarities in terms of how you both have gotten to where you are now. Felicia, did you feel that as a Black woman that you experienced biases within the healthcare system as you pursued this diagnosis of your treatment for your condition? It was a Black doctor that listened to me and read the test for my stenia. I noticed differences when I joined forums and looked at comments on how the doctors tested, let's say, a white woman. They ran all the tests, but I received so much backlash. So, yes, I, I do feel there was a bias. Wow. Um, Sean, you also mentioned kind of you started treatment before you actually had been formally diagnosed. Um, so what was it like when you went through those first round of treatments and then ultimately received your diagnosis? Well, I'm a professional chef and my days are usually about 10 to 12 hours. And 10 of those hours, you're standing. And it was the first time in my career or my life that I couldn't physically do what I wanted to do. And that was terrifying. I felt helpless for the first time. And it was pretty scary. So when I started the treatment, I remember the first day I felt normal. I was just so thankful to feel normal again. And luckily, for the most part, I can experience that on a day-to-day basis. Um, If I don't take care of myself properly... I can definitely feel like, an I call it an episode or a crisis kind of coming on. And so for me, that's the biggest thing is really the self-discipline of biting my tongue and saying, I probably shouldn't work today. Both of you were actually navigating this road with your MG diagnosis while chasing your career goals. Felicia, you were juggling school, family, motherhood, and work on top of a rare disease diagnosis. And in the midst of all that, you made a decision to start your own business. What were some of the challenges that you kind of encountered as you were starting? In and out of the hospital several times a year, 
I would catch a cold and my whole system would shut down. So that ended up in ICU. I still had to work. There were times I had risk for days and hours at a time. And I'd rise and I'd be fine. But then, about an hour or two later, all my energy, my strength, gone. I was used to being very active. I still am. And it was challenging mentally. I lost my marriage. I know it was hard on my children because there were times I wasn't able to cook or clean up properly. I didn't have the strength. However, I'm a strong person mentally. And Sean, you also have had your challenges. How have you had to overcome some of those hurdles of living with MG and continuing with your line of work? I've been a chef for 30 years and for most of my career had a reputation for being very, very, very intense and just a very serious perfectionist. And that's just taught me about really the the wonderful things about humility and being reminded that you are human and we do have limitations. It's helped me realize that. Sometimes when I'm having an episode or sometimes just out of the blue, I'll feel resistance from the action that I want to take. And that hits me with anxiety immediately. But then that's my body saying, all right, you're good. Time to go. So I have to be able to have the discipline and the communication with my team that I got to go. It happened to me yesterday. I was working an event and um, I cooked 150 burgers in the sun over an open fire And there were moments where I couldn't get the burgers off of the grill fast enough because my muscles weren't responding. So I went home. (laughs) The old Sean would have tried to work through that. And it was interesting timing. I had an opportunity to build a restaurant from the ground up. And so one of the rooms that I designed, there's a massage table and an adult-sized beanbag, and a sound system for guided meditations, and a whole array of sound therapy and aromatherapy and different frequency therapies. And it's a room where anyone on the team can go and rest their bodies, but also for us, most importantly, the nervous system. And so everything that I'm learning about how to take better care of myself I'm able to pass on to my team of 150 people, Mm -hmm. but it's been great to see how others can be inspired to take better care of themselves when they see me doing it. And in a lot of ways, myasthenia has really recalibrated my life for the better. And it was something that was an awful thing that happened, but I choose to see it as a positive thing because it was the first thing that taught me that life is not work. And now I have a beautiful family, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And I, I don't, I'm not sure that would have ever happened. And for many with MG, dysphagia or trouble chewing and swallowing, right, is a symptom. And as a chef, this must have been a particularly difficult symptom to deal with. Have you experienced difficulties with swallowing? I do experience difficulties with swallowing occasionally and just thinking about not being able to drink water is pretty scary. 
it'll just happen to me in the middle of service when we're cooking for people and I'll go to try and drink water and it feels like the biggest air bubble getting caught and like the water won't go down. And so I literally have to run and spit it out. And so those things are very important for a chef. We are tasting, 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 tasting nonstop. So yeah, that's something that I have to keep a very close eye on. But here's the thing, you know, I I know all these things and it's the motivation to take better care of myself. So in a funny way, I'm actually the healthiest I've ever been. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Not when I'm in a crisis or an episode, of course, but just overall, it has caused me to really step back and realize the importance of I'm responsible for a lot of people and I'm responsible for my family. And if I don't take care of myself, then that's not going to work. It's interesting how those things work out like that. We'll be back with more Untold Stories, Life with Myasthenia Gravis, after a quick break. As a global immunology company committed to improving the lives of people suffering from severe autoimmune diseases, Argenics is dedicated to partnering with advocacy organizations, including the Myasthenia Gravis Holistic Society, in support of the MG community. The Myasthenia Gravis Holistic Society, or MG Holistic Society, is on a mission to empower MG patients and their families to recognize that MG is part of life, but life is more than MG. With a core philosophy focused on whole body wellness, the MG Holistic Society focuses on addressing the physical, emotional, and communication needs and challenges of people living with MG by combining effective medical management with complementary approaches, emotional self-care, and healthy lifestyle habits. For more information about the MG Holistic Society, visit www.mgholisticsociety.org. And now, back to Untold Stories, Life with Myasthenia Gravis. Felicia, I'm curious to know if you have any forms of self-care that having MG sort of has allowed you to discover for yourself. I focus more on my health. I drink a lot of water. I get massages every two weeks. I get acupuncture. I take daily walks. I meditate every morning. I journal. I have more gratitude for the simple things in life. People don't realize there's a muscle for everything. Hmm. There's a muscle for our eyes turning left and right. There's a muscle for our smiles and our frowns. There's a muscle for our tears. MG affects all that. And I'm thankful that I'm here, alive. I've been on life support twice. The first time, I turned into a baby. I had to have people turn my head, Mm. roll me over on my back and my side, wipe me. And this was at the height of my career. After that, I travel more. I enjoy nature more. I observe small things like butterflies and caterpillars being more aware and in the now, not worrying about the future so much because the future isn't promised. 
That's right. And it also seems like the work that you're doing is also taking care of people. Um, how has living with MG shaped the perspective of impactful work that you do? I've become more compassionate. Mm. And it takes a lot to work with me. I'm putting people through programs to help change their mindset because mindset oftentimes is the blockage to the money, not having the right mindset. And oftentimes, the people I work with may have health challenges that prevent them from completing something in a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. I have more compassion because of what I experience. Beautiful. And you are both business owners. And so it seems to me that based on all that you've been through so far in your journey, that um, success probably means something a little bit different for you now. How has your version of success changed as a result of your MG journey? Felicia, how do you balance that energy with helping your clients with the energy that you need to care for yourself, for example? Success is calculated oftentimes by the amount of zeros behind the number and how quickly you are able to obtain the amount. Riches are defined as success, but there are deeper type of riches. I think spiritual riches are what matters the most. Something can happen overnight and all of that's taken away. However, if a person has a deep sense of spiritual awareness, no matter what happens in life, they're always successful in their mind. There's not one day that goes by that I look at myself as a failure. I look at myself every day that I wake up as a success. Because one, I woke up this morning. Number two, if I'm able to help one person out of my day, I've done my God-given job. That's all I've asked to do. A positive thought process is necessary, not only for me, but for those around me. A lot of people look at me and see what I do. That's success. Beautiful. So the success is in how you inspire other people by doing what you do and doing it so well. Sean, how have, have you been able to redefine success since your diagnosis? Success to a chef or a restaurateur is oftentimes associated with awards and write-ups and popularity and packed dining rooms. And that's how I saw things because that's how I was wired and trained. And after my life being changed dramatically through being diagnosed with MG and I started to slow down and realize the importance of health and happiness, I started to really think about success in a different way. And there's this psychoanalysis named Alfred Adler that I discovered. He did a lot of work with Jung and Freud and his main premises was success and or the meaning of life is as simple as contributing each day to something that you love or are connected to or want to be connected to or a part of or want to be a part of. 
And I've been thinking about that a lot ever since. And I think success for me is a lasting contribution to my craft. And for the longest time, I would think that would be something to do with the plate of food. But now it's really a, a mindset of how can I help the generation that's coming up understand that success is about what I call your circle of competence. And it's realizing how far you can push yourself without jeopardizing your happiness and health. Because it does feel good to win and it does feel good to achieve. It does feel good to discover. And those are things that are just wonderful to experience, but they can be consuming if you let them. So it's been a great reminder for me. To be able to redefine it in a way that is healthy, but also that acknowledges those wins. Yeah. Food is such an important part of finding a connection between people. And both of you actually take a really thoughtful approach to food in your MG journey. Now, I do want to acknowledge that dietary needs vary from person to person living with MG. So it's important for our listeners to consult with a physician for recommendations about diet and lifestyle changes. But I'm curious to know how you've both modified your diets post-diagnosis and how important diet has been in your healing on your MG journey. Right now, it's like I'm experimenting with what works the best. Mm -hmm. If I find that something disagrees with my system, for example, I may eat something and immediately my throat closes. I can't swallow it. I know that's not for me. Mm -hmm. I become a vegetarian. And now, if food more protein through eggs and dairy, so far, that's worked. I become more health conscious. I compare myself to one of those cons that you only are able to put premium in. I have to have the premium food. None of that low-grade stuff for you. Yep, that's not going to no, no, uh, no. cut it. Yeah. Sean, how about your approach to personal nutrition, recipes, and even menu building at your restaurants as the result of your MG experience? Well, luckily, my whole life has centered around clean food, starting with my grandmother's farm and growing up there and eating straight from the garden, which then inspired me to cook. But I went to the restaurant industry at a very young age as a teenager and have been working in restaurants purposely that focus on organic and natural and, and best practices in agriculture. So luckily, I didn't have to change too much there, but I knew I did have to dig a little bit deeper. And so what ended up really helping me was taking a food sensitivity test. I found out some things I didn't want to find out, like I can't eat lima beans and shrimp as a Southerner. That's not very <laughs> exciting. But I now have a list that I carry around with me of foods that I shouldn't eat. And now I know that. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't had that need to look a little bit deeper into what was going into my body. We know that MG can also interfere with handling day-to-day -day tasks, but we'd also, I think one of the things we don't often consider is its effect on our personal relationships. I mean, you both sort of alluded to this. How have you had to adjust your personal relationships as you found yourself dealing with your symptoms of MG? Sean, we could start with you. Well, we have a new family. We're new parents. And 
having a four-year-old boy and a two-year-old girl, it's funny, I always say, I work five days and then take two days off. And my last day off, by the end of the night, I'm looking at my wife and saying, I'm kind of looking forward to getting back to work and getting some rest. (laughs) It's so funny how that works. But for us, our biggest challenges are when I have to lie in bed all day because I'm in so much pain and my muscles aren't working, she has to take care of the kids by herself. And there's guilt that comes along with that. No matter how hard I try to talk myself through that and process through that, I don't know if it's just a biological thing or what, but the feeling of not being able to take care of your kids is also a very terrifying one that comes along with with shame and guilt for you know a few quick seconds. And I've got to really remind myself that that's not the case. And my wife is my biggest supporter, of course. And luckily, I don't have to worry about that because she fully understands. And again, it makes her, like Felicia was saying, so thankful for the for the normal days and the regular days where I'm, I'm not stuck in the bed in pain. And she is there constantly checking in. Whether I'm in a crisis episode or not, she's the person that reminds me to check in with myself. And so it's a learning curve without a doubt. And we just take it one day at a time. Absolutely. How about you, Felicia? Have you had to adjust your personal relationships as you deal with your MG symptoms? I have. I've gotten closer to my children. They have had to adjust. I do less around the house now because I'm that person that will stay up till 3, 4 in the morning cleaning my house and I can't do that now. My immediate family, I've made sure they're aware of my journey. Mm -hmm. I call this a journey. Once I express my feelings towards it, they were more compassionate. It's hard sometimes to adjust, and it's depressing at times. And all in all, I have two wonderful children, a great son-in-law, three beautiful grandchildren, and they love their me mom. <laughs> My home is to be around for them as long as possible. Beautiful. And through both of your unique stories, it seems that finding resilience has helped you achieve success despite the challenges that you've been through. So as we wrap this up, what would you say to others with MG who are facing their own unique challenges? Felicia? Be patient with the doctors. Tell them what works for you. Because if you're a new patient, they don't know you like you know yourself. And you are able to work together as a team to find the proper treatment. I know there's better days ahead, not only for me, but for everyone. Wonderful, beautiful advice. Thank you so much. Sean, what would you say, um, your advice for those who are going through MG? The largest impact 
for me is being around people like Felicia and other people who have the right attitude towards this. And that is the importance of community. And for the longest time, up until a few years ago, there wasn't really a place for people with MG to gather and share and collect information and learn and teach. But now there is, thankfully. And it's podcasts like this and just opportunities like this that help give us the confidence and courage to say, yes, this is a scary, somewhat unknown thing, but it has the ability to open a lot of other doors. And those doors are best enjoyed opened with an amazing community full of people who are going through the same thing. And there's amazing strength in that. I've witnessed it firsthand. I'm so thankful to have connected with Felicia today. You were incredibly inspiring. Likewise, son. I need to visit your restaurant. Yeah, come let me feed you. What's the name of it? Audrey. That was my grandmother's name. A-U-D-R-E-Y. Okay, well, that's in Nashville. I'm going to pay you all the visit. Please come see me. Thank you so much, Sean and Felicia, for sharing your journeys and your true inspiration in how you're getting through this. And I really appreciate our audience that's listening to recognizing that these are people who are also going through their MG journeys or have people in their lives that they're supporting. And it seems like what you both have been going through really is such an inspiration for realizing what can be done and how MG does not have to stop you. So thank you so much. This is so wonderful. Thank you so much, Sean and Felicia, for joining me today. Gaining the vast perspectives of life with myasthenia gravis, I've been grateful to those gracious enough to share their stories. Like Sean and Felicia leading inspiring lives and businesses, it's helpful to remember that every MG story is unique and can contain even more challenges than may appear on the surface. And whether it's learning how to manage your workload or reevaluating your abilities altogether, each MG journey is about learning how to best navigate your personal journey. With that, I'm sad to say goodbye for now as we close out this first season of Untold Stories, Life with Myasthenia Gravis. I want to thank everyone who's been listening and helping build a stronger MG community alongside me. Until next time. Untold Stories was produced by iHeartRadio in partnership with Argenics and Closer Look, and hosted by me, Martine Hackett. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. Our EP of post-production is Matt Stillo. And our producer is Sierra Kaiser. This episode was edited by Sierra Spreen and written and produced by Tyree Rush.